Today's message is called The Truth of the Gospel. I had several names for it going through my mind, but I could have called it Justification in Christ. The Truth of the Gospel, though. What is the truth of the gospel? What is the truth of the gospel? Well, the truth of the gospel is justification by faith alone in Christ alone, and by Christ alone, and by his finished perfect work. It's all by the grace of God. Our salvation is completely by the grace of God. There's absolutely nothing that we add to the finished work of Christ. Nothing. It's perfect. It's complete. He's done it all. He's done it all. And this was a great truth of the Reformation, actually, is justification by faith alone. You see, we as humans cannot obtain the forgiveness of our sins, can we? By anything we do. By nothing we do. Every one of us has broken the law. Every single one of us has broken the law. There's absolutely no way we can even keep one of the law of God. And we can't produce a righteousness that makes us fit to be in the presence of God. Because the scripture declares, as we'll look at today, there's none righteous, no, not one. That means everyone. Everyone. And you know, the whole world, whether they believe it or not, is guilty before God. The whole world. Everyone who comes into this world is dead in trespasses and sins with no hope. Physically alive and yet spiritually dead because of our father Adam. So none of us can produce a righteousness before God by our own merits, by our own works, by anything we do that will please God. But praise be to God, Christ fulfilled the law in our place. Christ Weave the perfect code of righteousness, as Spurgeon used to say, when he lived and died upon this world. He, he wove that perfect code of righteousness by obeying God's law perfectly as the great substitute. And then we know, of course, he satisfied God's law and justice, didn't he? Two words, again, out of my preaching, if you get anything out of any of the messages, substitution and satisfaction. Christ is a great substitute of sinners. And God is absolutely satisfied with the perfect work of Christ. And therefore, anyone who's in him, God is satisfied with them. Now, that's wonderful. That's good news for sinners, isn't it? That's good news. And we cannot be accepted by God except in the beloved. Except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, there's no acceptance before God. Absolutely none. But in Christ, a sinner finds the full forgiveness of all their sins, past, present, and future. All of them. Now again, as you've heard me say many times, that doesn't give us a license to go out and do whatever we want. No. But the, but the salvation in Christ is absolutely complete. All of our sins, as God's elect, all of our sins were bought and paid for 2,000 years ago at Calvary's cross. Every one of them. And think when someone says, well, how can you say your future sins? Because all of our sins were future at Calvary's cross. We weren't even around then. Yet Christ paid the debt that we owed for our sins. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. 
So we must have faith in Christ. We must. But we know also that that faith is a gift from God, isn't it? He gives it to us. Also, which we're going to be looking at again later on in the book of Romans chapter 5, it says, therefore, being justified by faith. What kind of faith? God-given faith. For by grace you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So that faith spoken of in Romans 5.1 is a gift from God. And then what, what's the result of that? We have peace with God. Peace. Absolute peace with God. See, we were enemies in our minds at one time, weren't we? Scripture declares that. That we were enemies in our mind. We shook our fist at God. Whether we, whether we verbally said we were enemies or not, our sinfulness proved that we were enemies with God in our minds. We were wicked. But praise be to God, he saved our souls. Now we still struggle with sin all the time. But praise God, all our sins are forgiven. And then it says this. By whom also we have access by faith, again, by God-given faith, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory. Let us rejoice as believers in the hope of glory. What a hope we have. There was a time when we didn't have this hope. And who's our hope centered in? It's in Christ and him alone, isn't it? It's nowhere else. not in anything we do. Nothing we do. Even after we're saved. I can't find hope in what I do. My hope is in Christ and him alone. He's my hope. Is he yours? Oh, he's wonderful. And we believe is God's born-again, blood-washed people. We believe that Christ died and suffered for our sins and that by his perfect work, our sins are atoned for completely, fully. And also remember that that faith, which is counted for righteousness, spoken in Romans 4, 5, is God-given faith. That's, that faith that's spoken of in Romans 5, 1 is God-given faith. He gives it to us. We can't obtain it in any way. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it's given to us by God the Holy Spirit. And you know we have the same faith as Abraham? God, there's only one faith. There's only one faith. I was talking to someone this week, and they were talking about the church. And they said, well, the church is started in the uh, day of Pentecost. I said, no, it didn't. All of God's elect from all the ages, Old Testament and New, are the church. They're the church. They're the redeemed ones of the Lord. They're the elect of God. And our faith is the same faith that was given to Abraham, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, James, Peter, John, and Paul. One faith. And who's the object of that one faith? Christ. He's the, See, they looked to the Messiah. We look back to what Christ has done. And now we look up, don't we? I like what Scott Richardson said. We look outside ourselves and up to the one who saved us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it's wonderful. So let's turn now to Galatians. Let's turn now to Galatians. Chapter 2. Or continue our study. In Galatians chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 
to 5, but verse 5 will be today. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Remember the false teachers were saying that Titus had to be circumcised and all the Gentiles, converts, had to be circumcised. They were trying to bring him under the bondage of the law. Right? But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, isn't he? That's what the scripture declares. And Paul said in that, because a false brethren unawares bought in who came in privately inspired our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. We looked at that verse last week. They crept in. They, they crept in. To whom we give place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So last week in our study, we saw the false brethren in Galatians 2.4, they plotted. They plotted to bring the believers under the law again by saying you must be circumcised to be saved along with the work of Christ tried to bring them and, and I was talking to Sister Barb yesterday and with Vicky and Kevin and she brought up a great point that, that we often don't think about is that these Jewish believers they were raised in a Jewish religion so for them to leave the Mosaic law for that it was it was to, for them to, to, to say no faith is in Christ alone it was huge because they were raised in that environment the whole time so they would be leaving everything. Their whole belief system would change. Right? Because Christ, again, is the end of the law for righteousness. Now, we love the law of God. It's a holy law. It's, it's wonderful. And, but we know we can't fulfill it, can we? No one can. But Christ did it in our place. It's wonderful. So they tried to get a foothold in the church, and then they tried to yoke the believers under bondage. No wonder Paul said, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then as the offense of the cross ceased, I would that they even cut off which trouble you, Galatians five, eleven and twelve. So Paul said, If I preach if I preach circumcision to be saved, there's no offense in the gospel then. There's no offense. See, because that's something man has to do, right? Man loves to do something, don't they? Oh, those of us who came out of religion, we know that. We love to do things. The hardest thing for us to do is just rest in Christ. Just to go, Lord, I'm going to put my soul in your hands. I'm going to see the world, things going crazy in this world, but I know that you're sovereign. I know that you're in absolute control, and I'm going to rest in you, my sovereign king, my sovereign God. And Paul's message was all about Christ. He had a one-string fiddle. I was telling the folks out west, I have a one-string fiddle. When I preach, I only preach Christ. That's who I preach. Now, we look at the text, we break it down, but I have one subject in my preaching, and that's Christ and him crucified. That's, that's the main, that's what Paul preached, right? That's what the apostles preached. Salvation's in Christ, in Christ alone. We bring nothing to the table except our sin, right? But we bring nothing to the table that, that would, would gain us merit or favor with God. 
It's all by the grace of God that we're saved. That message is offensive to natural man. It was offensive to me before the Lord saved me. Now it's the most wonderful thing in the world that Christ died for my sins. It's wonderful. And remember, if you add works, just a pinprick of works, it's no more grace. No, it's no more grace. Not at all. So our, our gospel, the true gospel, is not man-centered. It's Christ-centered. It's all about him. And men have a problem when you tell them. When you tell them that there's no way they can save themselves. No way they can save themselves at all. I was talking to a guy t- this week. I told you guys on Wednesday night. I was talking to a fellow this week, or no, last week. And he said, uh, you have to ask Jesus into your heart, and then you're born again. I said, no, you got the cart before the horse, buddy. You must be born again. You must be born again. Then you're going to run to Christ. I guarantee you, if you're born again, you, like Rupert Rivenbark used to say, a team of wild horses couldn't keep you away from Christ. Oh my, you're going to run to him then. But you have to be born again. You have to be, you must be born again. Can't be born again by praying a prayer. And then I started to ask him, can a dead man pray a prayer? He admitted, no. Okay. Can a dead man walk an aisle? No. Okay. I said, Scripture says we're dead in trespasses and sins. How do you make yourself alive? By supposedly letting Jesus in your heart. When you can't, you're dead. Well, he didn't have, oh, boy, oh, boy. Just kept telling him, you must be born again. And I don't argue anymore. I've told you guys that. I just present the Scripture. This is what the Scripture says. I used to argue and debate and spend hours doing that. Now I just say, what? there's the truth. There you go. Let the Holy Spirit do the work, right? Just back off. Let him do the work. That's what we're supposed to do. Oh, my. But, boy, men, men don't like to hear that there's nothing they add or nothing that they bring to the table to save themselves. I didn't like it when I heard it. I didn't like it at all. Now, again, I love it. But we will not compromise the gospel. That's what Paul's bringing forth in this verse 2, is that we will not compromise the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace. We will not compromise it. We know that as as a group. We've stood for that, haven't we? Salvation's in Christ alone. In him alone. No no one else. No one else. Let's look at verse 5 again, with that in our minds. That here's Paul saying, I will not compromise. He says this, To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So Paul here in this verse sets forth the only manner, the only true manner of defense against the false brethren. And this is simple in, in practice. And, and this is simple, simple in, in manner. Look what he tells us here. Easy for us to do. Don't give subjection to them. Don't subject yourself to them. Don't subject yourself to the false teaching. That's what Paul's telling them here. Don't tolerate it. Do not tolerate. See, we're going to see later that the, that the apostles, that the elders at the, of the Galatian churches, and that Paul were all in agreement. 
not to subject themselves to these false teachers who said you must be circumcised and believe on Christ to be saved. And I'll tell you what, it comes in a, in a, in a hundred different, different flavors now. There's people out there who say you must be baptized to be saved. That's a false gospel. People say you must speak in tongues to be saved. That's a false gospel. Dave, you ran into some of them. People say you must go to this certain church, Catholicism. You must belong to this church or you're not saved. That's a false gospel. That's what it is. So we can identify it, and we don't have anything to do with it, right? Now, we can witness to the people that are in there, and we should. When the Lord opens the door, we talk to them about the wonderful things that Christ has done for us. But Paul refused to tolerate or submit to this teaching. He says, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. Not going to have anything to do with them. They're, they're, I'll ask you this. If someone was offering you poison, would you take it? If even they were offering you a drop of poison, would you take it? They said, here's this water and it's got a drop of poison in it. Would you take it? You know, false teaching is poison for the soul. Poison for the soul. No, I don't want nothing to do with that. I don't want nothing to do with that. And we see here that Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he, he encourages the churches at Galatia. Remember, he's not writing to one church. He's writing to multiple churches in Galatia. And notice he uses the word we. The little word we. Look at this. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. I love how Paul includes himself with the brethren. I love this. Here's one of the greatest apostles of all time, right? And he just brings himself right down to the higher level. I love that. That's how it should be. You see, the, the preacher's not on the pedestal. I've told you guys. I'm, I'm in the midst of you guys. I'm with you all. Uh, the preacher's supposed to be the, the servant of the church. Not lord over it. Mine. So he takes this little word, we, and he shows that all, here he's showing that all the apostles, remember he, he's gone up, to, he's gone up to, to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles. He's gone up there, and they're in agreement with him, and the elders of the church has sent him up there, and he's saying, we, all of us, we're in agreement. Do not give subjection to these people. Do not even, do not even listen to them. Listen to them at all. Do not listen to them. Now, there's only one true gospel, isn't there? There's one gospel, one faith, one Christ, right? There's only one Savior. And the gospel comes from God, right? It's God's gospel, isn't it? It's his gospel. And it doesn't include anything that man does. It comes from the free grace of God. Right? The Father in eternity chose the people in Christ. That's called their elect, the elect of God. That's what we are as God's people. We're the elect of God. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Do we have anything to do with that? God didn't look down through time and say, well, I see that Wayne's going to choose me, so I'm going to pick him. No, he's looked down and said, oh, look at that guy. He's dead in trespasses and sins. Dave, Dave's right beside me, right? Those guys, all of us. I'm going to choose them. I'm going to save them by my mercy and grace. I'm going to forgive them for all their sins. And the son pledged in the great eternal covenant of grace. In the council halls of eternity, the son pledged, I'll go and die for them, Father. 
I'll go shed my blood for them. I'll become a man and I'll live the perfect life for them and I'll purchase them. And the Holy Spirit said, I'll find them and I'll quicken them and I'll give them life and then I'll teach them the things of Christ. And then when they die, we're going to take them home to be with us forever. Amen. Take us home. Oh, my. But notice the word we. So they're all in agreement to this. They're all in agreement not to give a subjection. And that's in the Greek, that means to submit. They're not submitting to the false gospel. Paul says, do not submit yourself to that. Do not even entertain it. Do not even entertain it. So, oh, how much this would help nowadays, wouldn't it? When the truth of justification by faith is under attack. Justification in Christ alone is under attack. There's so many man-made religions out there. And it's always been that. There's always been false teachers among us. Always. But again, I like what Henry said. How do you measure, how do you measure a man's preaching? Well, some people say, well, by his delivery and all that. No. Who gets the glory? Does Christ get the glory or does men get the glory in the preaching? Right? That's how you measure preachers. Who gets the glory? It should be all about Christ. All about what he's done. Now this leads to us to the primary part of this verse. Look what the latter part of this verse says here. First part says, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. Then it says that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. The truth of the gospel. I'm going to run out of time. The truth of the gospel here. Note these words, truth of the gospel here. And embrace this wonderful truth. Later on in the chapter, Paul is going to talk about justification by, by, by Christ and faith in Christ alone. He's going to talk about that. The truth of the gospel. Embrace this. Embrace the gospel. Embrace the fact that in the gospel we have the forgiveness of all our sins. Every single one of them. Forgiven. Embrace that. It's a wonderful truth. Because it's Christ who's justified us. That's, that's one of the heart of the gospels is justification in Christ. That he's the one who's justified us. We can never justify ourselves. We can never save ourselves. But Christ done it for us. And as I said, I like what one old preacher said, when God looked down through time, he just saw the whole mass of human race fall and then in sinfulness. He didn't see someone who would choose them. He saw people who would just run away from them, shaking their fist at them. My, what mercy. What mercy God's showing us in Christ Jesus our Lord. So justification in Christ and justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, is an absolute wonderful doctrine. I, I believe justification is the heart of the gospel. Really. To be, up, to be justified, to be able to stand in the presence of God in him alone. This, this truth is what, is what shook Europe during the Reformation. Justification in Christ alone. It shook it. Shook things up. And only by keeping our eyes on Christ. How else can we combat false brethren and false teachings? By keeping our eyes on Christ. 
You know, I've been at churches before when, when the preacher's looking and checking out everybody in the church and the church is all checking out everybody to make sure they're not doing something wrong. Right? And nobody's got their eyes on Christ. They all got their eyes on each other. We'll keep our eyes on Christ, won't we? Right? Set your, set your mind, set your heart on things above. That's Christ. That's Christ. My, oh my. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 8. We, we will not submit ourselves to be put under religious bondage again, will we? We who have been made free in Christ. I love this little portion of Scripture here. This little portion of Scripture here in John chapter 8. You know, we saw last week that the false teachers come in and despised our liberty. And that's freedom in the Greek, remember? They come, and then to yoke us under bondage, that's to put us into abject slavery in the Greek. Like, just yoked up in bondage. Look at this in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who's the truth? Who's the way, the truth, and the life? Well, it's Christ, isn't it? It's Christ. And who guides us into all truth? The Holy Spirit does, doesn't he? And he says he won't speak of himself, but who's he going to speak of? Who's he going to teach us about? Christ. I like this. This is wonderful. Look at this. I used to be in religious bondage. And so when I see this verse, I'm just, oh man, it makes you almost want to just yell out praising God, doesn't it? Look at this. And ye shall know the truth. We didn't know the truth before the Lord saved us. Before we were born again, we didn't know the truth. Right? We didn't know who Christ really was. And now, he's revealed himself to us. Look at this. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 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 No more under the yoke of bond. It's free in Christ. Free. This is the words of the master. This is not my words or John's words. This is the word of the master. This is the word of the, the word of God, the second person of the Trinity who's become a man. And his whole reason here is to come to set us free from, from the bondage of sin. He says, it says, then, or they answered him, we, we be Abraham's seed. Well, we got Abraham. And we're never in bondage. You see, that they do not even know the depths of their own depravity. They do not know the depths of their own sinfulness. And we were all there. So we, we can't get on a high horse, can we? We were all there. Right? We are never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Oh. Look what they're doing. We're not have this man rule over us. Shaking their fists at God in the flesh. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. 
And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. Now here we go. He's going to say it again. <laughs> if the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. What a savior. What a redeemer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the false brethren of Paul's day to which he speaks of differed in some ways than those of modern times. They did not, these false brethren Paul's speaking of in Galatia didn't deny the Godhead of Christ, or the Godhead, they didn't deny the Godhead of Christ as the Mormons and the Watchtower people do. I don't call them my God's witnesses because they're not my God's witnesses, they're just Watchtower people. That's all they are. But they did seem to call in question the doctrine of the free and sovereign grace of God in Christ alone because they were adding to the finished work of Christ. Circumcision, something man had to do. Again, how do we know that? Well, Paul says that they came in privately. Remember last week we saw they snuck in. They snuck in amongst. They snuck in. The spy out the liberty which is in Christ Jesus. The freedom that Christ just spoke of that we have in Christ. We, we have such freedom in Christ. And I don't think we know the freedom that we We don't know the, the bounds of our freedom. Right? Because remember, we're always to keep a weaker brother in, in mind too. If we feel like we have the freedom to do something, but we have a weaker brother who we know that will make him to stumble, then don't do it. Don't do it when you're with them. And there's things we know we, we, we can do, and there's things we know we absolutely shouldn't do, isn't there? But what, what constrains us from sin? The love of Christ. See, that's scriptural. The love of Christ constrains us from sin. Because I'll tell you what, you tell a man not to do something, what are they going to do? They're going to go and do it, aren't they? But if you tell a believer that it's the love of Christ that constrains us, that's because of what Christ has done for us. That constrains us. You can be a different person. They're born again, the Holy Spirit of God, the new creature in Christ. They're not going to want to do the things they once did before. So it's very evident that the false teachers disliked, possibly even hated, the doctrine of justification in Christ alone. Because they added something that you had to do. And again, this is, this is what shook Europe during the times of Revelation, or Ref, the Reformation. is justification in Christ alone. Salvation by grace alone. Right? By the word of God alone. These are the things that shook those countries. And this truth. You know, I find the missing note in today's preaching is about the righteousness of Christ. That Christ established the perfect righteousness for us. Most places are telling people what they got to do and what they don't have to do. Now I'll tell you what. You don't have to tell a true believer what to do and what not to do. I get convicted, do you? When I do something I know I'm not supposed to do, I get really convicted. And I end up in my face before God confessing my sin 
Even though I know it's all forgiven, I'm still on my face confessing my sin to him. Even though I know I'm forgiven. Uh, scripture says it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all right, unrighteousness, isn't it? You know, and if you preach the gospel and you preach about Christ's righteousness, men won't trust, men and women who are truly born again, they're stopped trusting in themselves. Those old, those old grave clothes of religion will start falling off. And they'll just look to Christ alone. That's by the power of God. I got a whole bunch more, but I'm out of time. We got a fellowship meal this afternoon. So, that's been wonderful, though. But there's a lot more. Next week, we'll continue this. There's a lot more on justification in Christ alone. And we'll look through the book of Romans. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, again, never forget that as we're reading the scripture, that the true author of the scriptures is God the Holy Spirit. He's the true author of the scriptures. And next week, we'll look into... Romans chapter, basically all different parts of Romans. And we'll go verse by verse and we can turn to each verse and you can, you can open it up and look at it. And um, we will see how Paul brings forth that there, we have no righteousness, nothing. Again, our righteousness as believers comes from Christ, doesn't it? We're clothed in his perfect spotless righteousness. That wedding garment that, the, that we will have on at the great marriage feast is the righteousness of Christ. That's what that is. And it's the Father who puts it upon us. Remember the Father when the prodigal son, I love this. I'll never forget when I first saw this, I was jumping up and down like a, like a kid in a candy store. Here comes the prodigal coming home. He's weeping. The father's probably weeping too, right? And the father turns to his servant and says, bring forth the best robe. The best one. What's the best robe for us to be robed in in the presence of God? The righteousness of Christ. What a Savior. What a Redeemer is Jesus Christ our Lord.